coven if you find you want more missing witches and this strange magic in your life get our book we poured our heart and brains and minds and all the magic we could find into it we'd love to know what you think we'd love to read your reviews on amazon or goodreads and of course the old rate review and subscribe means a lot and support our sponsor at foxglove farm using offer code missing witches thanks love you bye you aren't being a proper woman therefore you must be a witch you must be a witch oh witches oh friends oh priestesses oh listeners welcome back to the podcast and thank you for joining us on this new season and this new ride our book is out and alive in the world and kicking and getting the kinds of reviews that a feminist book gets <laughs> and if you're out there reviewing and reading we appreciate you and I'm so excited today to talk to an author whose book I've just been digging into and thinking about so much I'd love for her to introduce herself but I'll tell you Priestess Anwen Avalon is here we're talking about her new book The Way of the Water Priestess and we're talking about water protection and the path of the priestess and what's that like and I'm so interested these days in how we use our craft to inflame and inspire and enleaven our work and our activism. So Anwen has such a lovely voice about that. Hi and welcome. Would you would you be willing to introduce yourself and share some of your perspective on your work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am very happy to be here. Um, so yes, my name is Anwen Avalon. Um, and many people ask, is Anwen your real name? Yes, it is. It's my legal name. Uh, Avalon, though, is my pen name. And my perspective on the water path or just on the magical path and the priestess path is wide and vast. Um, the Isle of Avalon, the mysteries of Avalon are what really pulled me towards water and then revealed what the path was. I had already been immersed in water since like a very young, young age. Um, I grew up in Florida with springs and creeks and the ocean and just so many different bodies of water. And I spent so much time in the water and then, you know, fast forward, grew up, you know, moved around and ended up in Japan for a couple of years, a small island south of the mainland. And I lived there right on the, right on the coast again. Um, of course, the whole island is, <laughs> it's a very small island, so you can drive from one side to the other. But this is really where I I started to work the water magic um, and the circle that I was with at the time, we had an adopt-a-beach and this adopt-a-beach actually had a shrine. And I remember asking about this strange cement thing that was like right in the side of this cliff. And they were like, oh, it's like a sh local shrine to the sea goddess. And that was just a pivotal moment for me. And at the time, I don't, I don't think I really put it together, but being in sacred service and tending and cleaning this particular space um, really informed my work later. 
I moved again and ended up in North Carolina. And I studied um, traditional witchcraft. And at the time, it was considered Wicca. But everything at that particular time was Wicca. There's a huge distinction now between the priestess path and the Wiccan path and traditional witchcraft and all these different things. But at the time it was, it was called Wicca. And so I went through a like traditional year and a day and my priestess was a healer. And she also took me through my Reiki training And of course, it just so happened that that Reiki training happened in a small metaphysical shop about 300 feet from the beach. And so I got my Reiki one and two attunements right there near the water. And I was initiated as a priestess and started working with water magic just in and in general, the walking the path of the priestess with confidence. I always feel like these things were part of me, even as far back as is childhood. I could be I can look at the practices that I do now and say, wow, like I just now have the knowledge to understand what I was doing. So very strange young girl, I would go to grocery, uh, not grocery stores, garage sales, um, save up my money from pet watching or allowance or whatever. And I go to these garage sales and I buy all of these old decanters, which is so strange Mm -hmm. for like an eight, nine, 10 year old to be doing. And so I buy these decanters and I bring them home and I'd fill them with water. And I would put food coloring in them. And then I would line them up on my dresser. And this was my first water altar that I ever had. I had no idea. It took, I was, I was immersed in the craft for a decade before it even dawned on me. Oh my gosh, that's a water altar. You were just doing color magic right there as a child, getting these beautiful bottles, putting the water in it, putting the food coloring in it and having these different colors, um, just, you know, adorning this dresser top. And as I grew, um, I ended up, um, spending a lot of time outside. My, you know, my peers were playing video games and putting makeup on and I was, in the swamp in rubber boots, catching frogs in jars and putting plants in jars and all of these things that if you would look at both modern and older historical type of wise woman, they would be doing this. They would be spending their time out in nature gathering plants, bringing them back, putting them in jars, hanging them, doing all these different things. And there's even um, my my book, uh, Water Witchcraft, focuses a little bit more on the folk magic practices, but there's a significant portion of um, female witches that uh, were documented as working with toads in different ways, whether they were as a familiar, a spirit aid, or if it was an old folk magic where you put a frog leg in a pouch and hung it around your neck. Um, 
So after having been initiated and studying and researching my books and writing my books, it really occurred to me that there's a, a point on my path that I could say, this is where I started. This is when I decided to follow a magical path. But that particular point is in the middle of my path. It's, it, it was a knowing, almost as if I remembered and was going through the motions of things that I knew but had forgotten. And so I, this, this really, really informs my, my, like my personal practice and what I teach others, not just the remembrance part, but what feels right to you. How does water speak to you and how do you interact with it? And this idea of being so close to nature, whether that is earth, nature, plants and animals or water being the actual physical water, there's a really important uh, aspect of guardianship and protection of these amazing natural bodies of water. Um, I became very upset and angry several years ago watching the water protectors get uh, shot with rubber bullets and abused for trying to protect their own land and their own water. And uh, like Standing Rock, I'm sure you, you, you know about that. And um, yeah, and I wanted to jump in my car and go. And I, I couldn't at the time. I have, uh, I had a, uh, my son and I just, I couldn't, you know, say, fend for yourself. I'm going to go protect the water. And I felt helpless, but I also wanted to do something. And that is when I took to my altar. And I said, you know what? I could weave protection for those people that are physically there. I could also weave healing for the people that need it because they're being physically assaulted. And this, this was so important to me because it brought on this aspect of magical activism specifically around the water. And we can physically go and do things in the mundane and physical world like collecting trash or cleaning up oil spills or adopting a section of a river or beach to tend and care for. But even if you can't do something like that, if you have mobility issues or um, disabilities that don't allow you to go to the river and spend two hours cleaning, then anybody can take to their altar and sit with the spirits and work with them and weave in different energies to aid the people that can physically be there and also to help just change the energy around devastated spots. And so we know um, from looking at Dr. Emoto's work, um, who was this amazing Japanese scientist who documented the way that water interacts with sound vibrations sound meaning song or actual words and in some cases location like pollution 
And he documented them by flash freezing the water and taking these images. And what would result are high vibrational things often looked very much like a beautiful snowflake, whereas polluted water and aggressive type of energy would create a very scrambled type of of look. And so knowing that water is receptive like this and that that does change and it does hold this different energy, that means that places that are physically in turmoil in the physical world can be worked with and healed both by actually getting out there and digging up the trash and, and, you know, getting the oil out of the water. But then, you know, it's the same thing as a human body. You can have an injury and you can go to the hospital and have it physically fixed. But oftentimes the energetic body doesn't have that. And so then you seek out alternative healing to help heal the energy around this physical wound to perhaps aid in its recovery and to kind of energetically give yourself a little boost. And so this kind of same idea is how I started looking at water and saying, hey, if everybody was giving it just a little energetic boost, what would happen? Even just to think of, you know, to change our relationship with water, to think of it with love um, and adoration and to feel it moving in us that we were just talking today, Amy and I, about how ritual can be the starting point for your activism. Ritual can be the thing that you start with and end with, begin and return to, that it can, that it can fuel you in that way. And I, I love thinking about the way water moves through all of our systems and all of our bodies and just yes. restoring a sense of that can be really empowering. Yes, yes. And I mean, we are vessels of water on a molecular level. I'm not a scientist, so don't quote me 100%. But on a molecular level, we're something like 99% water. And we're about 60 to 70% water, depending on how hydrated or dehydrated we are. And I mean, that's a huge portion of us that contains water. And, you know, we can't go three days without water that otherwise you you will die. Um, we are vessels of water. Mm. Um, we are the sacred chalice and the sacred well. And we can also then look at things like negative self-talk too, and be like, wow, if I'm a vessel of water, and I'm speaking negative things to myself, how is that affecting the structure, the energetic structure? But if I flip that around and I speak things like what you were saying, love and joy and peace and happiness and healthiness, and we say beautiful things about ourselves, it actually changes the the way that the water is within us. And it's it's fascinating. There's actually a couple of uh, really wonderful science-based uh, women, 
water science-based women. One of them's name is Jen Isabel Friend. And I actually got to do an interview with her on my blog last year. And she's very much a water protector and, and has very much of the water priestess vibe. But she takes it to even a different level where she really brings in the science and talks about things like how to vortex water and how to source really good, clean drinking water for yourself, which having been immersed in water for a really long time, I I learned things from her that I, I didn't even know. Mm. And it's so there's so much that is just in the process of being uncovered right now. Um, mm. And there's so many different water protectors. And, you know, uh, I'm very very aware of some of the issues around things like cultural appropriation. And I really wanted to become a water walker. But then I thought to myself, you know, what if I could walk alongside these water walkers from my perspective, from my path, rather than trying to take someone else's path and work with water that way? And this is a, how Water Priestess started to really become, uh, come into form was how can we, within our own practice, our own lives, our own cultural structures, how can we create something that is supportive of other water protectors in all over the globe? We really didn't at least within the Celtic path and in Wicca and, and paganism, we we didn't really have anything like that. There were individuals that were, you know, doing activism, but there really wasn't a path of walking in sacred service to the water, just walking this path of sacred service to the water, the water spirits, a physical body of water, or our own sacred vessels. Um, I'm doing another interview with a lovely lady coming up in the spring, and she takes a little bit more of a I am a vessel of water perspective. And so we have scientific um, water information and metaphysic and spiritual um, and all of these different amazing things. And the idea with Water Priestess was to give people tools to be able to serve water in whatever capacity that is. If it's the physical body, the water of the world, or just the water that's inside of us, um, within their own perspective. And so that's why Water Priestess was written. I, I love that that perspective in your book because there really is this anchoring in a tradition that truly is global of specifically women and our relationship with with water, with sites of clean water and with protecting that. Yes, and I, I loved. I didn't know that really. Like I had, I had sort of. I think like many people, I I had I knew the references, but I had never really put them all together in the way that you do in this book. And I mean, there's there's other amazing water priestess type 
people all over the world within all different practices. Um, in Thailand, there is, um, oh, is it Thailand or is it Bali? Uh, um, oh, I got that. I'm not quite sure, but there's a, um, a water priestess um, that works in one of the temples where she does daily blessings at the ancient temple. And within um, African practices, working with some of the different spirits, they often um, consider themselves water priestesses as well. And so this was very much a hunt to find more information on my background and where I came from, my ancestors came from, and how then that could be worked with for all. And maybe someone, you know, from India does find the book and read it and start practicing in their own way. I I tried to write it in a way that someone could pick it up from another practice or culture or from a practice or culture that doesn't have something established and be able to weave their own work into it so that they really could take it one step further. And um, the, yeah, I love that you take the perspective of sort of this there's, it sort of weaves between like the the sort of mythic and philosophical and then rituals and baths and then really concrete stuff, which I love where you're like, people used to leave um, tokens and trinkets and like, don't do that. <laughs> Stop it. Don't leave that stuff. Don't pollute the water. There's enough plastic. Like use, use local stones, sing a song. Like I really love that concreteness. I was waiting for that moment in the book and I was really satisfied when we got to it because <laughs> there's just enough enough garbage in the woods you live in the woods and so do I and we both oh, know uh, my gosh. it's not helpful to be adding that it's not you know my property here has a creek on it and we have been here six years and the amount of stuff that I have pulled out of this creek is insane I'm pretty sure I've pulled out like half of a car at this point um it's I don't yeah. I don't understand why people do these things um when I was researching um, actually water witchcraft um, and really getting a lot of the folk practices, I desperately wanted to practice the way my ancestors did, the way that the Romans and the Celts did by putting votive offerings in the water. And I, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. Even things. So actually I wrote an article years ago that was, I split them into three different categories, which was low impact, no impact and positive impact. And even since I have written that, I have changed my perspective because low impact offerings are still an impact. And so things mm -hmm. like, flower petals from a rose that you purchase at the store is, I used to say, that's a low impact, save it for something special, but it's changed. I say, absolutely not, never. Even things like a piece of amethyst, you'd think, oh, this would be fine to get a tumbled stone, an amethyst, and put that into the water because it's natural. It comes from the earth itself. But unfortunately, I, I dug too deep. I went too deep down the rabbit hole. And 
well, we don't know where it came from. Maybe this was child labor um, to pull this stone out of the ground and then, you know, to then deposit it back. Is it really sacred to have almost slave labor pulling these crystals out of the ground to then bless and put back in the water? A lot of stones are dyed. And so I really had to take a look at my practice and I really had to look at the way that I was practicing the way I wanted to practice and how I was going to share that. And it turned into, I have to say, absolutely not, never. There was a book published about a decade ago, I want to say, and we were all really excited when it came out and there's a spell in this book that says, throw a plastic bottle into the ocean. And I know, and, you know, the online community just exploded. And the idea was it was a curse. And so you were supposed to throw it in. If it came back, the ocean was not going to do the curse work for you. But I'm like, do we really have to be doing plastic bottles? For me, like that, that's so far disconnected from my just day-to-day relationship with the world, you know, like the day-to-day magic of of living here and of of practicing trying to be good stewards of this place. It would just break there would be no part of me that would see magic in in throwing garbage into my space you know I would I would have a really hard time with that so I do understand and it's also you know I guess time changes and we we do gain more perspective all the time but I do love in your book you say the way the water priestess is one of challenge service and commitment to the safety and endurance of our waters this is the whole thing like what what else are we doing you know we have a responsibility so if you want to be a part of that work then let's be as careful as possible. I did want to ask you, you you talk in your book um, that if you feel a connection to a site of water, one of the things you can do is work to establish sacred energies there if there isn't already an altar or you don't really know the history of the place. I wondered if you could talk more about that. I, I, I felt like excited and curious about that. There's spaces near me that feel sacred um and I have some intuitions about how I can work and how I do work to establish sacred energies there but I wonder if you have suggestions about that for myself and others wow yeah so okay oh so much to unpack um I'm really glad that you brought this up because one of the questions in my water priestess interviews is exactly this like do you work with a particular place or body of water and was it sacred before you got there did you have to do something to to establish that and a lot of people are don't don't understand because they're like well all nature is sacred I'm like yes yes that is correct but there are still places that have just this deep magic about them that you can feel and I've also been to places that I can feel that, but then somehow it also feels broken, if that makes sense. Like, this is a sacred place, but this sacred place has a wound or a scar, and I want to try and fix that. And so one of the ways, many of the different ways, actually, doing things like um, 
daily trips or weekly trips or, or whatever you can commit to of going to this place and doing things like the mundane, the physical world of picking up trash and depolluting the area. But then you can do that with the energy as well. Song is such an important part. I'm not a singer, um, but singing instruments, I bring my drum a lot. And sometimes I even bring my singing bowl or sing. I have a few. And one of the things I actually like to do with the singing bowl is gather some of the local, like the water from the, the river, if I'm working at the river, and put that in the singing bowl inside of it and then play the singing bowl right there at the water's edge, really bringing in that sacred sound and that sacred resonance and then charging it with a particular intent, whether it's love, healing, protection, you, you could choose. And then taking that water back to where I collected it just half an hour before or so and pour it right back in with a prayer and a blessing, doing things like drawing in the sand. As a child, we always used to put crazy symbols and write messages and then watch the waves come in and take them away. But the river usually has a type of sand as well. So do lakes and obviously the ocean. And so you can do things like put protection sigils by drawing them in the sand with a stick or collecting river rocks and also maybe putting a protective rune or a healing rune or sigil. Chokurei, the Reiki power symbol, is something that I'll often draw as well. Um, driftwood is another fantastic thing to work with because it is it has that plant energy and it also has this energy of transformation because it has gone through this process of, of being worn down and bleached by the sun and soaked by the water and worn down until it is very, very different than how it started. If you carve, carving sacred symbols and sigils into these driftwood branches, you're not bringing anything new. You're not um, taking anything away. You're just carving these symbols of for whatever your intent is into the driftwood and then putting it back out into the water. So if you carve a chokure on a piece of driftwood and you walk back out into the water and you send it down the river with this intent that that symbol and that energy just pulsates and flows. And as it goes down the river, it is in the water. It's pushing out to the banks um, and saturating the area. And so you, there's this idea of doing this sacred work and bringing in sacred sound and um, energy and symbols to, to really kind of work this area and, and bring it to a place that maybe feels like it is sacred or reverses some of the damage that we as humanity has done. There's also working with the local spirits and just kind of getting to know them. And I believe that if you are visiting the water and doing these type of things that we have just talked about, the spirits are going to take notice. 
And after a while, you will be able to establish a relationship with them and be able to say, hey, I've been doing this healing work for you. Um, I hope I hope it helps. Um, let me know if you need me to do something else. And then be open to those messages. It might be to go write a book and get other people to the water's edge to do that type of work. Mm-hmm. That's this is one of the way, one of the many ways this book ended up happening um, was the question, what can I do as service? What do you need? Awareness. Bring this work to other people so they can they can do it. So I have in, in the conclusion of Water Priestess, I wrote that I have this dream that there will be before before I die, before my my time here is done, before I ascend into the realms of the ancestors, that there will be nine thousand working water priestess or priest all over the world at every single body of water and you know they're they're trying to claim water a lot of corporations are trying to buy it or they have rights or they steal it and sell it back to us and I don't I don't know how this would work but I could see this happening where churches were established Sacred bodies of water were established as sacred places. This is my church. This is my sacred place. And being able to maybe somehow get that protected under the law so that, no, you you cannot uh, run that pipeline through this river because 10 years ago, uh, me and my church, my, my priestess group, established this as our sacred space and it's official on paper and so no you're not allowed to drill or dig under it or destroy it in any way I don't know there's someone out there I love that idea I hope there's someone out there that that. will take it and run with it um and I'm just going to keep saying it until somebody is like oh I have the the knowledge and skills to do this but I really, truly hope that even if it can't go that far, that there's still so many of us that water itself becomes sacred once again. I love that idea. I was smiling when you were talking about it because, uh, you know, I live on a lake here and it, it runs off into this beautiful wetland. And when we were we were coming out here, when I was coming out here, before I bought this old house, um, I was talking to people about how to know if a lake was clean or, you know, wh- which areas were clean, which lakes had the blue algae, you know. And someone said to me, well, you know, it all comes down to the, the lake association. It's like, is there a community of like generally older Quebecois, often women, you know, who have come together to protect the lake or not. (laughs) And so these are my like, these are my like witch friends as I'm like in my thirties dreaming of moving out to the woods, you know, I'm just envisioning all these, these mamas making their associations like book clubs, except they protect the lake and they make the rules. So I love the idea of, of formalizing their work into a, into a, into a church that protects the lake they've been working on. I, I wanted to just ask, you know, this is, um, this is such a, 
a depleted time in so many ways. You know, we were we were depleted and exhausted by systemic racism and and the like relentless death cult of late stage capitalism before fucking global pandemic. You know, yeah. Um, we have so much privilege to be out in in our in our woods and and talking about ritual and. I know for me, like following and trying to amplify the work of Autumn Peltier and other young water protectors is like one sort of doorway into this work and now finding you in this community. Um, I wondered if you could share one like ways that people could find and connect with other water priestesses out there, other water protectors. And two, if maybe you have a a simple ritual. Amy and I were, were just talking before we even knew we were going to interview. We were talking about how like my ritual right now is just like a really thoughtful glass of water. It's kind of all I have some days right now. Um, I wonder if you have a ritual that you can offer people that is sort of like low weight. You know what I mean? Low weight, high bounty. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay, so the first one is... Uh, I have two websites. One's Water Witchcraft. It's my main site, but waterpriestess.com has my little free intro to water priestessing. It's a course that's very fun, um, very non-path specific, very metaphysical based so that anybody could really take it and apply it to their path. And then there's consecutive paid um, courses to go deeper. But on that website is where I host, uh, or I have a page with all of the water priestess interviews that I have done. I, I might be missing one or two, but what it is, is it, it's just a little square with the person and you click on it and it goes to their interview. And then at the bottom of everybody's interview are all of their social media, their websites, their, um, how to contact them, their books, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it's actually under the tab that is interview with a water priestess or water priestess interview series, I think is what it is. Um, and uh, I actually have just lined up four new ones this month. Late, later this month, I'm dropping a dolphin priestess. Really excited about her work. Um, the other gal I was telling you about that's really very much about focusing on the water in the body. Um, and then little Dorsey, she's amazing. Um, she's a voodoo priestess and she wrote, um, Orisha's goddesses and voodoo queens. And so I'm bringing her on the vlog to talk about more of these, um, uh, these type of spirits that, that are not, I don't know anything about them. Um, I don't know anything about this particular path. So um, I'm so excited to read hers. And then finally, there's this other amazing woman that um, brings people into natural bodies of water. She puts blow up, you know, like the, the floaties, kids floaties. She puts them on her arms and legs so that you float in the water. And then she does healing work in the water and sometimes with singing bowls. So you just float there in this natural body of water as she does the healing work. It's amazing. So, um, so yes, yeah, so the water priestess website is the idea was to make it a hub for other people to find 
somebody that would fit their path because I'm, I, I'm not for everybody. Right. So I would love to be, but that's just not how the world is. Um, so if, if my work interests you, but my path doesn't, then maybe there are someone else that does. I've got a few water shaman. There's a form too, um, a little like contact me if I haven't found you yet and you would love to be interviewed for the series. Um, so, you know, don't be shy. If I haven't reached out, just let me know. I, you know, I'd love to, to interview um, as many women as I can that are, are really focused on water. Um, and then, okay, a little daily rituals of water that are easy. My goodness. Okay, so yes, 2020 and 2021 were really rough. Um, I, I live here close to Portland. And, you know, as you know, we had it really rough in the summer with some of the uh, social justice protests and them bringing in these uh, awful police or hired Gestapo, I don't even know what they are, but I'm sure everybody's seen it on the news. Um, and then we had the devastating fires. Um, actually missed my property by 150 feet. And then last wow. month we had the devastating power outage where most of the, this, the city was out of power for almost a week um, because of the ice. And so it has been such a challenge sometimes you know, you just want to curl in a ball and sit in a corner and, and wait for everything to get better. But but you can't, you know, you have to go on. You have to keep moving and, and you have to keep uh, healthy in, in both physical and in the mind. And so doing things like speaking an intention to your glass of water in the morning is great. And same thing before bed. And there's um, a morning ritual and a nighttime ritual that I really like to do that involve pouring water. So in the morning, um, I'll often get one of my sacred vessels and place it on the altar and pour the water in. And there's, it's the act of ritual. It's the act of picking up the sacred vessel and taking this water that's been charged or has been collected from a sacred place or um, has a particular intent and, and putting that in this bowl. And sometimes they are offerings for the goddess. Um, Sula, I work with Sulis, the goddess of the Roman baths in the UK. Um, that's a whole another story about how I started working with her. But on her altar in the morning, I'll often place a bowl and pour this water in. And sometimes I'll add a crystal or, or different things. I kind of just let my intuition flow. And um, then I will do anointing with that water where I might anoint my third eye or my hands with a little intention of, you know, may these hands <laughs> do good work today. Or, you know, may my, my third eye be open to the visions that I need to see. Or may my crown be open to the messages from the divine. And then I will take that water and actually offer it to the earth either that evening or the next morning before I do it again. I have a small little outdoor shrine where I'll take that water and offer it to Sulis and to water the plants that are there. And then at night, um, this is both a little magic and some ritual, um, keeping a small bowl of water 
right near your head when you sleep. So on your nightstand or the little shelf that might be close to your bed, um, you can take just a small dish and and it can even be tap water. It doesn't have to be sacred water at all. You just take this, this dish, you fill it with the water, you place it near your head, and you can add a little mugwort if you want to bring on prophetic dreams and to work with that plant spirit. Or you can add something like a little ammonite. The Greeks and Romans actually used ammonites um, to protect the dreams and the dream state. And so you can, even without those things, you can just charge the water as a protection so that asking it to pull in bad dreams, negative energies, um, you know, anything that might be surrounding you to almost as, almost as if it was a dream catcher, the kind of the same, same idea, but um, in this case, using water and and using it as a protection for your dream state and then first thing that you do in the morning is you wake up you carry it right to the sink you can take it outside if you want to but this is just very like mundane magic um like physical world magic and I just take it right over to the sink and let it go down place the bowl back and redo it in in the next evening. So morning, kind of more of this intention and setting intentions and offering this sacred water to either the spirit or the land. And at night, a similar process, but for protection. Thank you. I love that idea of just simply pouring it down the sink. Just going to let some of that go right now. <laughs> You must be a witch. Hey friends, if after listening you find you want a little coven loving in your life, check out our sponsor, Foxglove Farm. Use offer code MISSINGWITCHES to get some of that handmade, ethical, awesome witchy goodness in your life. Send us your reviews on whatever podcast service you use. Um, and if you want to read the book, gosh, we'd love to send it to you. So find it, tell us what you think, um, and share your thoughts on Amazon or Goodreads. And, and yeah, see you out there. We love you. Be safe. Bless if I can be.